Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting to read at verse 1. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints. For I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you in Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written... He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Thank you very much. Let me add my uh, welcome to those who've already uh, welcomed you. It's great to have you with us tonight. Uh, do keep your Bibles open at that reading from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. And let me pray as we turn to God's word together. Father, we do thank you that you have spoken to us. We thank you that we can believe these words, for they are truth, and we do ask that tonight we wouldn't just read these words, but we pray that you would help us to understand them, and more than that, that you'd help us to live lives that are changed by the words that we find tonight. We pray this, that you may be glorified in us, we pray. Amen. Well, as Gareth said, we are in the middle of a little three-part series looking at at 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. And this section of Paul's letter is really about one thing. It's about money. And the thing about money is that uh, even though most of us, I guess, think about money most days, and uh, even though, I guess, most of us will use money every day, The thing is about money, we don't like to talk about it. Uh, For some reason, uh, when it comes up in conversation, it often conjures up feelings of, um, or or when we're asked to give money, feelings of of guilt and uh, obligation and anxiety and 
uh, dissatisfaction about having to give. And so I, I imagine in this room tonight to be told that we have a three-part series uh, looking all at this one issue of money is a great way to induce a sense of uh, dread and heaviness in our hearts. But as we listen to the Apostle Paul talking about money through these two chapters, one of the remarkable things about how he talks about money is that uh, as Christians give for the sake of other Christians, Paul is clear again and again that it should be a matter of, of great joy, of cheerfulness, of willingness, of, of generous outpouring from our hearts towards others. And just look at some of the words that Paul uses to describe um, how it should feel to give money to other people. Uh, just in chapter 9, let alone uh, the whole of this section. So looking at chapter 9, uh, verse 2, uh, he talks about uh, the, the Corinthian eagerness to help, um, uh, their enthusiasm. Verse 5, he, he talks about a, a generous gift uh, that's given freely, not to given grudgingly. Uh, verse uh, 6 talks about uh, sowing generously, not sparingly. Uh, 7, uh, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but joyfully giving. Verse 11, so that you can be generous on every occasion. It's a remarkable way for Paul to talk about giving this sense of overflowing willingness, joyfulness, generosity. And I think the question that hangs over this whole section, and which we'll look at tonight, is this. How can we be people who feel like that when it comes to our money and our giving to other Christians? Because, as I said last week, and I still grapple with it, often I don't feel like that. When someone mentions giving, I don't feel joyful and full of uh, free, willing generosity. And so as you look at uh, how Paul explains giving for the Christian, I think we're going to be helped to see how it is possible for our hearts to be changed on this issue. Uh, Last week we saw it was... All because of God's grace. Paul says that when Christians grasp just how much we have in Christ, unbelievably, unthinkably rich in him, then that grace given to us spurs us on to be generous towards other people. And it it seems the Corinthians have grasped God's grace. They understand it. And so look at how Paul begins chapter 9, verse 1. He says, there is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, that is, uh, giving money to other Christians in Jerusalem. In fact, he's so certain that they want to give because of the gospel that he continues, verse 2, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. Paul's boasting here is not some kind of a self-centered glory hunting, like a, a guy who's come top of the class in the most recent exam. Now, Paul's boasting here is boasting in other people, in the Corinthians, and in particular, the way in which they have understood God's grace to them, which has led to them being willing to give to other people. And that is why Paul is boasting. He's so confident that that's how God's grace comes to people and impacts people. Or at least it should. But as we read on, we see that Paul is still concerned that these Corinthians 
won't have joined the dots between God's grace to them and their generosity to others. He's worried that their good intentions won't be followed through with action. And so tonight in chapter 9, we see two further ways in which Paul uh, seeks to help Christians move from the land of, of good intentions to the land of action when it comes to giving. And not just action, but joyful, willing, free, generous action. And I reckon uh, all of us here tonight could benefit from seeing these reasons. Now, the first one is this. I think Paul would say to us tonight, looking at verses 1 to 5, remember the importance of accountability in our giving. Remember the importance of accountability in our giving. Having just said so much about God's grace, what Paul says next sounds, sounds a bit strange. Look at verse 3. He says, but I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. It sounds a, a bit like Paul saying, I'm, I'm going to send the boys around because um, I've heard rumors that you might not actually give as much as you said you would. Uh, has Paul kind of you know, tried grace as a motivator and that hasn't quite worked and now he's trying the kind of baseball bat approach to um, bringing out giving in the Corinthians. And then it seems that he ramps up the emotional pressure on them in verse four. Uh, he says, for if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, uh, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. Is this the kind of classic uh, name and shame approach to giving, you know, uh, telling the Macedonians just how badly the Corinthians have performed. Uh, imagine if we here at Forward would, uh, if we transformed our kind of Forward news section into a, a naming of people here who give and how much they give, uh, running down through the standing orders. It would be horrendous, wouldn't it? Uh, listening to kind of blow-by-blow accounts of how much we give. I don't think that is what Paul is doing in these verses. Look at verse five. He says this. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. And then this is so crucial. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. You see, whatever Paul means in these first five verses, he still wants the Corinthians to give generously, freely, joyfully, not as one giving out of grudge because they have to, but because they want to. So what is Paul talking about in these verses? Well, Paul has introduced these brothers to us in in the previous section. We haven't had time to look at it closely, but look back with me at um, at chapter 8 and verse 23. Uh, when Paul explains who these guys are. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and in honor to Christ. So when Paul says he's sending the brothers to the Corinthians, they aren't kind of some sort of heavies with baseball bats. These are, these are brothers in Christ. They are, they are fellow workers. They are an honor to Christ. These are grace-filled gospel people, good people. And they come with Paul's letter, this letter, Uh, to the Corinthians to remind them of God's grace. And I reckon Paul knows that these Corinthians need some time and space with these Christian brothers to allow 
the reality of God's grace to really impact their thinking and also their wallets. A few weeks ago, I had an experience I'm sure many of us have had in the past. I was just uh, sitting down to have a lovely dinner and the doorbell rang. And I went to the door and as soon as I opened the door and I saw um, the ID badge and the clipboard and the smiling face, I knew instantly I was about to be asked to give money there on the doorstep. And uh, if you've experienced that kind of moment, uh, I don't know, how, how, how do you feel? I was full of all kinds of different emotions in that moment. Well, uh, very practically, I was, I was hungry because I was just about to eat and I wanted to go back and have my dinner. So part of me was a bit kind of annoyed. Um, but then as I heard um, why money was being collected, well, my heart was full of sorrow and pain at the cause. It was a, a good cause. Then I was filled with guilt because I hadn't given any money to this cause before. I didn't even, I didn't even know about it. And then there was a sense of awkwardness because if you stand face to face to another human and they ask you to give money, well, that is awkward, isn't it? And so just there for one moment on the doorstep, I was full of all kinds of different emotions right there and then. And I didn't know how to respond. And I reckon many of us have had that experience of what do we do in that moment of, 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 of decision? And I think Paul wants to avoid the doorstep kind of moment happening to the Corinthians when he arrives expecting a collection of money. He doesn't want the Corinthians to be all full of all kinds of emotions, ranging from guilt to, to awkwardness to worry to, to hunger. All kind, he wants them to be really clear about how they stand on things. He wants the gospel and God's grace to have had time to really filter down through their thinking so that they arrive at a settled permanent, willing, generous position on this issue. And so I imagine Paul sending these dear brothers, good people, with this letter full of God's grace, with the longing that the brothers sit down with the Corinthians and they talk about the riches of Christ and they pray together and they look at their hearts together and with that time and space, that they would come to this position, verse 5, of being able to give generously, not as those who give grudgingly. And so I think here we are seeing the, the importance of accountability in our giving. That is to say that allowing other Christians in on our hearts, allowing them to speak about God's grace to us and to kind of chat with us about how we understand God's grace and our giving. And it might take time, space. At least that's how I think Paul saw it for these Corinthians. Not some kind of heavy-handed way where the baseball bats are just under the surface of the table, threatening. But rather, I think, a conversation full of grace, full of the gospel as these dear brothers speak to the Corinthians. And you know, I reckon left on our own, uh, we get ourselves in a right tangle, don't we, about God's grace and our giving. You see, it's, uh, it's very easy to uh, forget that our wealth isn't measured by the size of our house or in the pounds in our bank account or the kind of car that we are saving up for. You think left on our own, so often we, we start to think that way just by default over time. And so it's remarkably helpful when a Christian comes to us and says, can I just remind you of how much riches we have in Christ can I tell you about the inheritance that he has for us that will never uh, perish, spoil, or fade, that will be, come to us when Christ returns? Can I just remind you of how, much, how many spiritual blessings we have in Christ? Forgiveness, of adoption of love, 
it just helps to have other Christians speak that way to us. So our hearts don't get confused about riches and money and wealth. And so Paul sends the brothers. Remember the importance of accountability in our giving. What about these Macedonians? As Paul imagines what might happen if the Macedonians come and they encounter the Corinthians. Why does he mention that? I came across the results of a recent survey looking at some giving trends in the Western Christian world. A few decades ago, the survey noted that um, the average Christian household in the West, I'm talking about um, North America, Britain, those sort of places, us, the average Christian household gave around 4% of the total household income to uh, Christian work, churches, missionaries, and so on. Uh, Fast forward a few decades to the present day, and uh, despite a, a steady increase in living standards in the West, Christian giving has dropped from, from 4% to 2.4% on average per household. Is that good? Is that the right amount of giving? Are, are we in the right kind of ballpark? You see, Paul never gives us a command. You won't find a number anywhere in the New Testament about how much Christians should give in response to God's grace. But I reckon one way that we can start to think through whether God's grace is transforming our wallets is to look at how the gospel has transformed other Christians. Many years ago when I was growing up, um, my church had established a, a connection with a local church in Guyana. Um, at one point, one of the, the ministers came over for a visit and um, my family had them around for, for a meal. And uh, it was amazing to hear stories of what God was doing in Guyana. Uh, I, I discovered, being a young guy, I didn't know much about Guyana. I discovered that it was an incredibly poor country. The church was uh, very uh, poverty-stricken, very little money. And yet it was amazing to hear from this pastor about the incredible generosity of the church family for one another. And I can still remember as a young lad listening to this pastor speak I can remember thinking, do you know what? I don't give like that. And I don't reckon my church gives like that. And I think the Corinthians would have felt the same when the Macedonians arrived. I don't think Paul is trying to manipulate them or to somehow give them a sense of guilt or fear that they might be caught out or look silly. No, I think his, his concern is that the Corinthians will realize that they haven't allowed the gospel to transform their hearts as much as the Macedonians had. And so he wants to give them time and space to be transformed like the Macedonians had. What about us uh, here tonight? I'm not saying that we should go around interrogating everyone about their giving. Um, In fact, I have no idea how much any of you give in this room. I'm actually making a point of not knowing how much you give. I have no idea. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 6, uh, he warned us about uh, an unhealthy kind of boasting that can come when, when we talk about our giving towards other people. It can be a, a way of impressing people. And that's not what Paul is saying here. So we need to be careful, I think. And yet at the same time, there is something very healthy, I think, about Christian accountability in this area. 
seeing, walking, living, breathing, worked examples of God's grace in practice can be a tremendous help as we assess our own hearts and our own giving. And so I wonder what role models we have in our minds as we go about the business of trying to check if we're giving the right amounts before the Lord. Who do we talk to? Who do we chat about uh, these things with? Uh, remember the importance of accountability in our giving. And that's the first thing I think Paul uh, talks about to help move these Corinthians into action. And second, our second point is this. Remember the great benefits when we give. The great benefits when we give. Look at verse six. Paul says, remember this. <coughs> Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Imagine you've got in your hand a bag of grain. Um, You could take that bag and you could grind it up into flour and produce a loaf of bread and you could enjoy a lovely meal from that bread. It would satisfy you for a day. Or you could take that bag of grain and you could use it as seed and plant it into the ground, plant a whole field with the seeds. Of course, if you did that, then you'd have to wait months for the seasons to come around. You'd have to trust that you'd get return for your investment. It might feel risky and it takes trust and patience. But if you get it right, there'll be a much bigger harvest of grain than, with, than what you started with. And that's the picture Paul has in his mind when it comes to how we use our money. To give our money for the sake of others might feel risky. It's like planting seed in the ground. You have to kind of lose it for a while. It might feel wiser to keep it, tucked away, safe somewhere. And yet Paul is saying something amazing here. If we give generously to others, then we can expect to reap a generous harvest, far more than we had in the first place. And so verse 7 then makes perfect sense. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful because the giver knows that he's about to get a wonderful harvest in return for the seed he's sowing. Now we need to be careful here tonight. I think over the years, um, Christians have been rightly wary of what has become known as the prosperity gospel. There are many people today who, who claim that if we give some money to God, then we can expect back from God lots more money. And so if you want to become rich, the key to riches is to give your money away and God will give you lots of money back. It's around in the world today. Uh, Perhaps one of the most famous prosperity gospel preachers is an American called Joel Osteen in uh, Texas. Uh, He has a church of around 40,000 people all buying into this idea of how to get rich and uh, he himself lives in a house worth around uh, $10 million, uh, a living example of, of what he says coming um, to pass, so it would seem. But this is not what Paul is promising in these verses. Remember the Macedonians? Uh, they have been sowing generously. We saw that last week in chapter 8. Giving sacrificially for the sake of others. And yet we know they are still experiencing financial hardship. Then notice the motivation. The prosperity gospel appeals to our desire to get rich 
for our own sakes. But this desire is so very dangerous. In fact, Paul says elsewhere in 1 Timothy 6 that people who want to get rich fall into a trap and pierce themselves with many sorrows. But here in 2 Corinthians, the desire to give is for the sake of others. Look at verse 10. Over the page, Paul says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will increase, will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Remember here that, that seed represents generous giving towards other Christians. And Paul is saying God will give us uh, more and more seed as we do that which means that we will have an increasing capacity to go on looking out for the needs of other Christians as we do that in the first place. So this is no prosperity gospel. This is not about Christians building bigger and bigger barns for themselves that they may be happy and rich on their own. And yet at the same time, let's not miss the extraordinary point that Paul is making in these verses. He's saying we cannot out-sow God. If we generously, joyfully, willingly give our money to help other Christians, we can expect to receive back more than we gave so that we can go on giving more and more and more. I had the privilege uh, some years ago of going out to visit some Christians in China And it was amazing to see how they lived their lives together. They were extremely poor, these Christians. They had very little, and yet they gave freely to each other as each had a need. And it was amazing to watch that even as they gave in their poverty, somehow they always had enough to go around. And not just enough, but an abundance in order to give to others as well. It was remarkable to see how it happened in practice. You see, God was at work amongst them to take that seed and to multiply it and to give it back to them in abundance. And I love verse 8. Paul uses uh, five different words to underline the size of God's blessing that he will give to his people. So verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. A remarkable verse. Oh, it's true in all kinds of areas of life that God comes to us and empowers us to do good works for him. But I think Paul is particularly talking about the good work of of Christian giving to other Christians. Look again at verse 11. Over the page again, Paul says, You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Uh, The riches, the the blessing Paul is talking about, it it could include financial provision. It might include practical blessings or, or blessings of extra energy or time. Paul doesn't narrow it down for us. But whatever we need to go on giving for the sake of other Christians, God will supply it. And so Paul would say to us, I think, tonight, remember the great benefits when we give. I suspect our danger here at Fullwood is not so much to go down the 
the prosperity gospel route, thinking that when we give, we'll become really rich for ourselves. Now, I think our danger is probably in the opposite direction, which is that we don't want to give very much at all in case God doesn't bless the seed and give us a great harvest back. And so how can we become a people who experience this amazing cycle of being able to give generously, willingly, and seeing God give back to us all that we need to go on giving and giving? I don't think I'm there yet. And I guess many of us probably aren't. How can we become like that? Well, I think it begins by looking back. Tonight, we're going to come in just a moment to to share a meal of bread and wine. It's that meal that reminds us of Christ's death on our behalf. And as we come and share this meal, let us remember that before we have done anything in terms of giving and being generous, before we have sown a single seed in the ground for the sake of others, God has made us unbelievably rich through Jesus Christ. Remember the words that we've heard already. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You see, God has already stepped in and blessed us and made us rich. So surely he will go on doing it for his people in the future as we trust him. Let's pray. Father, we are so aware that often there's a gap between what we know we should give and how we actually live in practice. And Father, we ask again tonight that you would help the gospel, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to so impact us that we increasingly become people who are able to give willingly generously, joyfully. And Father, may we experience this picture that Paul paints for us in 2 Corinthians 9 of a people who who give generously for the sake of others and experience in return God's generous, gracious provision back. And we ask this, not that we be glorified or live comfortable, uh, easy lives, but rather, as Paul says, that it will all result in thanksgiving to God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.